The Harry Corey Summer Sale is now on with massive savings and fantastic ideas to transform your home for less. Visit us in-store or online at harrycorey.com. Harry Corey, the curtain embedding specialist. The summer sale is now on. Well, the dream is on. I'm ready to take the stage at the Edinburgh Fringe. This wannabe stand-up will be rubbing shoulders with some of the best in the business at the world's biggest comedy festival. My preparation is going to involve hiding away in a darkened room and sobbing like a child. But how did the actual comedians get ready for the big one? Well, let's find out in the second series of Laughter Unlocked. In this episode, I chat to comedian, actor and musician Nick Helm. Now that he's given up trying to woo Susie Dent in Countdown's Dictionary Corner, the brash and bullish funny man with the comedic confrontational delivery brings his show What Have I Become to Edinburgh and it's going to be a belter. Nick, great to have you on Laughter Unlocked. How are you? I'm alright, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. So, not long now before you before you, you head back up the road to, to Edinburgh, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am really looking forward to it. I love Edinburgh. I love doing the festival. I've always tried to do it, and I really enjoyed the last run in 2019. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sort of like just, I'm sort of just eager to sort of like get up there and see see what it's like. I suppose there was sort of like one last year, wasn't there, where all the acts that went up said there were no. Uh, there were no crowds or anything. They were just sort of like they just had packed audiences, and then, and then Edinburgh was sort of like as as normal. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, um, it, wasn't. It, it wasn't sort of like a, a regular August festival month. It was kind of like it was quiet. And then every time they had a gig, it was like a packed audience, and that sounded great. But I don't think it's going to be like that this year. I think it's going to be a bit hectic. It'll be it'll be probably back to normal, but but you know, but even more so because you'll have. In, in the two or three years since it was last on properly, a lot more people have uh, maybe, you know, tried comedy for a start. There might be new, a whole load of new acts. There'll be um, established acts. will be trying out new stuff. I, I can imagine it'll be quite a frenzy. 2019 was your, was your last uh, your last run then. Yeah, uh, but but going back to like every year, it's like a school year. Comedy's like a school year. Every year there's a new, like, year of new comedians that, that want to try it. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, there's been two years where, where there hasn't been a festival. And also, for general audiences, people just don't go up to Edinburgh. They don't always go up to Edinburgh. And so to have like a break, there'll be more people that are like, oh, well, let's do it this year. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. Do you have where you're going to stay and everything planned out long in advance? You just turn up or I'm sure you do. I'm sure you, you know, you've had it all booked up. Oh, yeah. Like, I always, my, my, my old agent used to, just say you'll never regret you'll never regret getting like a, a convenient accommodation and and she's right you know you just get get so it's so expensive but you kind of like have to build that into i mean it's ridiculous expensive it's kind of like disgusting now you kind of have to build a little bit of that into um what you're preparing to to lose in the festival but yeah getting kind of a place that's in a good location that's uh yeah, it doesn't absolutely destroy you financially. It's kind of pretty essential, I think. That's the key, yeah. So, th- so this year's uh, show, what have we become? 
no shortage of material mm. in this world we're living in uh, in the last two or three years. I mean, where do we where do we start with what's going on in the planet? I don't really know what the show's gonna, what the final show's going to be at the moment. I'm writing some songs and some poems at the moment, but part of what I'm saying at the moment on stage is kind of like it's, it's just an odd time to be a comedian because um, you know we were sort of tread. Well, I felt like in terms of material, um, I would write material every week during lockdown. And I did quite a few kind of like new material things over Zoom during lockdown, but it all felt like a little bit like treading water until we knew what what the, the lay of the land was, and um, and now we're back out again. It's kind of like not really. It's, it's weird. It's kind of like not really enough has happened to me personally. My last show that I did just before lockdown was incredibly personal, and um, it was all about uh, mental health. And, uh, depression and stuff like that and um and then uh and then we had lockdown and uh, <laughs> i had like all new mental health problems to talk about and then i was also sort of like i don't really know how much i oh. it's kind of like i feel like it's a little bit in poor taste to go through a pandemic with the rest of the planet and then come out and talk about how specifically uh it affected me and so I'm trying to sort of like write something that um, is about all of us and is about um, what we were, uh, what we've been through and what we are. Um, only in a fun way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you, you, you're also mindful, I suppose, that there will be hundreds and hundreds of acts who've all lived through the same thing. And they're all, they're all, mm. you know, we're all living under the same leadership and the same madness and witnessing the same crazy stuff. So trying to come up with a set or a show which kind of, you know, puts your own personal stamp on it is always a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, but I feel like this year is um, special. We sort of need to rip the Band-Aid off, you know, Um and uh and um like during lockdown i was thinking oh bloody hell can you imagine uh can you imagine at the edinburgh festival after all of this there's, there's going to be three thousand shows called you know uh, my corona and um <clears throat> and i was thinking the last thing i really want to do is like add to that and write write another show about the coronavirus and i and i joke about it all the time throughout the lockdown we've come out of it and it's kind of like, actually do you know what i think it's probably going to be split down the middle i think it's going to be like 50% of comedians that are going to talk about what we've been through and 50% of them are either going to do kind of like old material or like shows that they were working on before the pandemic or they're not going to mention it at all because they're going to figure that everyone else is going to mention mm -hmm. it um, and so it's kind of like, what do you do? You ignore it, or do you do, do you discuss it? And I think that um, uh, I didn't think that I I really wanted to talk about it, but in actual fact, um, the more people kind of like try and sort of like move on, I suppose, the more I think it's important to have a show or have shows that sort of like process what we've all been through. Yeah. Um, so just so that we can move on. And I know for me, I want to write this show that's about what we've been through um, 
so that I can write my next show, which doesn't address it at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like this is this is this is my my show. Also, you know, it's easy to sort of like think, well, there's going to be lots of other shows about the same subject matter. Of course, there are. Of course, it affected everyone. You know. Um, but then that's also sort of like assuming that your audience is going to go and see 3,000 other shows. Yeah, and if they're not, I've, yeah. I've got my audience, you know, my audience will come and see me and they'll come and see whoever else they want to go and see. But um, but I'm playing for, you know, I'm writing a show for the people that are going to come and see me. Yeah. Um, and you can't, you can't sort of like second guess what everyone else is going to write about. You can't second guess what the audience is going to be up for. And I'm testing it out and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so part of the show is sort of like talking about who we are and what we're, and, and that sounds even more lofty and pretentious than it really is. So part of it is just addressing what we've been through so that I, I can move on with more material in the future and, and we can all move on. Um, and I also think it's right to take a moment now, you know, to remember kind of like what's happened and to kind of like let the, the weight of it kind of sit with us for a minute, you know, just before, you know, there's all this stuff with Boris Johnson at the moment. And, um, and I think that part of what I'm talking about in the show is how quickly we're ready to sort of like forget things and move on. But I think in actual fact, in some instances, it's right to remember this stuff. Um, and take a little moment to do that, and then we can, and then we can move on. And then the other part of the show is kind of like uh, experimental, which is that I gave up drinking over lockdown. I found some new antidepressants over lockdown. I started seeing a, a girlfriend over lockdown. You know, uh, lots of things have changed over lockdown, and I'm kind of like a different person. And I went through sort of like a relationship. I was halfway through a tour. I went through a weird relationship with comedy where I was halfway through a tour before the pandemic. And then we had to, you know, we delayed the tour five times and we ended up cancelling it. And I kind of got to a point where I really, before the pandemic even hit, I really didn't enjoy comedy anymore or doing stand-up. I didn't enjoy travelling, being in front of live audiences. I got incredibly uh, anxious. You know, I had real severe anxiety issues, crowds of people, strangers, just all this stuff. And I found these antidepressants uh, through my GP. They've changed my life and they've cut down all my anxiety. I hated going on stage and I may well have really never enjoyed being a stand-up comedian. Well, that's, that's really, really interesting to hear. I mean, has that had, was that something that had, had affected you for quite an extended period of time? Or was it really just within the last two or three years that it, it intensified? And it, you said that you uh, said that um, even before uh, lockdown. Well, what I would say is, I mean, my act is very sort of like brash and shouty and kind of like aggressive. And I would say that that when I initially started doing stand up, I got I, my nerves were so bad. If I didn't sort of like go out on stage and sort of like let it out, then. I would really struggle, I'd, 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 you know, and I that stage persona as a way of kind of like combating my personal nerves. So I've, I'd say I'd always struggled with anxiety and nerves, but I just figured like that was that. But these pills that I've started taking, they've kind of like they've they've changed they've changed everything. Kind of as a stand-up comedian, you know, concentrate on the job, and then part of what the show is, it's not just sort of like oh I've written a show and aren't I clever, but it's kind of like how do I even do comedy anymore? Yeah. And like, how, how do I approach it? And kind of like my approach to it has always been informed through nervousness and stress and anxiety. And that's like 
the final product is a product of its of process and product of who I am. Yeah. What I am on stage is kind of like that is the persona that I have developed in order to be able to do my to, job. And to cope to cope and now with, with Yeah, to, to cope with it. To go like if you're really nervous, you know, I always remember when I was maybe I was probably about ten and I was in some sort of talent contest, but it wasn't really a talent contest. It was like everyone got up and did their little bit. And um, I just remember I went up and I just, I couldn't do it. I was in front of everyone and I sort of fell apart in front of all the other kids and all the other parents and people like that. And I always just always remember that it was kind of like, I went on stage and I didn't do what I'd gone on to, to do. And when I came off and I, and I always, always regretted it. And so I've always felt like, when you're nervous about doing the thing or not, do the thing. Otherwise, you'll never know yeah. how it'll turn out. Do the, do it the best. Do it the best you can do it. Sure, it doesn't have to be perfect, no. but do it the best you can do it, so that you know that you gave it everything that you had. Further reductions in the Harry Corey summer sale with massive savings and fantastic ideas to transform your home for less. Visit us in store or online at harrycorey.com. Harry Corey, the curtain embedding specialist. Further items reduced in store and online. Also, looking at some of your stuff in the live at the Apollo, you I noticed you had some things scribbled in your hand, which I absolutely have to do. And I, and even though even though my my set is locked and loaded. And I know it inside out. I still have this comfort blanket, the prompts. Were you doing that as part of the routine or do you still have to, to, to kind of depend on it in case you have a have a kind of wobble on stage? I think all comedians write on their hand at some point, I would say. If you have it on a piece of paper, then you might lose the paper. You're not going to lose your hand. So, um, <laughs> so you know, when you're, on, when you're on stage, you just need something that's handy that you can look at. Then it's then your hand is the place right here. Part of it also we had auto cue on live at the Apollo, so part of it was just kind of like I thought it was funny to yeah. go on live at the Apollo and have it written on my hand. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people were outraged that I'd written on my hand on live at the Apollo, and it was just kind of like my attitude to that is doesn't matter how you do it if you make people laugh, it's fine. Sure, people go on with notepads, so people go on with. Uh, writing on it, I don't see comedy as a memory test. I see it as kind of like if people are enjoying themselves and they're happy and, and you're making them laugh, then that's the job. And and part of my act is to be like as unprofessional as possible. <laughs> and um, and it's kind of like I'm just like an alternative to all the people that, you know, dress all smart for the telly, you know. Did you, um, did you find when... You know, you, you were talking about coping mechanism and, and you know, having anxiety being a, a real issue, particularly for a, for a stand-up. Did you find the more anxious you were, the, the, the worse your memory became? My club set, when I, when I was doing all the clubs and when I was at my, my peak, my club set involved five one-liners, a song, a poem, a story, uh, another song, some audience interaction, another poem, another story, some gags, and then a final song plus yeah. some more audience interaction and it would be like it was so much to remember going on stage i would just sort of like get so stressed about it every time and so over lockdown i've just gone like how do i do this how do i get to a point where i'm not stressed every time i get nervous if i have a gig or if i had a gig i would be nervous either all day and then depending on uh, when the last time I gigged was, if I saw it in the diary, like looming, I would start getting anxious for it, like a fortnight before it, you know, and, and it would just be st stressful. And you go, this is my job. Mm -hmm. How do I get to a point where I can just do my job? 
where I can just see my family in the day. I can do meetings. I can do writing. I can, I can, you know, work on other projects. And then I can switch on in the evening and I can just go on and make a living. I was, I was looking around like, going, what else can I do for a living that isn't being a stand-up comedian? And then I was just like, why don't you just work out how to do this that isn't, at a cost of your mental and physical health. And then I just worked out that I'm going to strip it back. And I also like, had a little think about like what sort of comedian I wanted to be. For almost like the first time. Like my whole stage persona came from nerves. So I didn't choose it necessarily. It sort of like just, it just evolved that way. And then if I can just sort of like not throw it all out, but if I can just work out, I guess it's sort of like you're like, you've accidentally invented the wheel and then you're going back and working out how to do it properly. <laughs> One of the, the beauties of doing um, the virtual gigs during lockdown and Zoom, gig, Zoom gigs and so on, you could cover your screen with post-it notes and bits of paper and lyrics, you know, yeah. and, and, I, and I, I, did, I did two or three from my kitchen at that point, and I thought it was the most relaxed I've ever been. And that was the plus side of it. You know, obviously the, the downside is that very often the audience was muted or, or, or you couldn't, you, you, you know, it's very difficult to see how they're reacting you know, through a virtual, a virtual show like that. But how, how did you find that? Well, everyone learned as they went, didn't they? I think I did some Zoom gigs early on and they were horrible. And then when I did some later on, they were much better. I think it all comes down to the fact that it's about expression. I have to say also that the Glasgow Stand is one of the best gigs ever. It's a smash. Um, it's a really, really good audience. It's great fun. All, I love it. And, always and up for the it. difference between the Glasgow Stand and the Edinburgh Stand is sort of like really like, uh, day and night really oh, really the Glasgow stand is always really fun I think yeah is that because um, probably probably people in Glasgow like to get steaming a lot more than people in Edinburgh probably I, I think I think so you know I think people in, in Edinburgh are a little bit more um you know strokey beardy they think of themselves as intellectuals and in yeah. Glasgow you kind of like get instant feedback and and it's fun you know I just really enjoy it so after the virtual stuff and, the, and and then you had to obviously perform in front of a live audience again for the first time post-lockdown, can you, can you remember that gig clearly and where it was and, and how you felt when you were about to take stage in front of actual people again? The first gig I did was I was filming, uh, I did a thing called Stand Up to Cancer where me and some other comedians, we taught some sort of like public figures and celebrities. We taught them how to do stand-up. And then I had to go on stage and we all had to go on stage at one point, but I think well, I hadn't gigged in about six months to long it had been during the pandemic that far. And then all of a sudden we had very little notice and they said, oh, you've got to go on stage and introduce your, your person. And that was sort of like not ideal because we hadn't gigged in like six months and then all of a sudden you're not just on stage in front of some people, but you're sort of like you're stage filming for tv so that was that and then i think i did I, one of my favorite gigs in london is a place called um always be comedy it's down in kennington at the tommy field and that's always got really nice audiences um so i think i may have done like one of my first gigs back there which is always really nice yeah i don't really remember i don't really remember coming back it's weird now that we're allowed out again i've sort of embraced it and i've just booked in as many gigs as i possibly can i just want to i want to do it and i want to be good at it and I want to get back to sort of like being good after after not just the pandemic, but after like taking like a personal break. I've always done sort of like Edinburgh and tours and stuff, but I don't tend to sort of like do lots of club gigs, which is what you do for the rest of the year. And so I'm sort of like really embracing that. So it's not necessarily there's a specific gig, but my whole approach to comedy and my whole approach to stand up is I've got to enjoy it as well as the audience. And um, because 
you know, you're, you're 50 50 with the audience. Well, probably more than 50 50, but like you can't control an audience. You know, sometimes you'll go and do a gig where everyone has collectively decided that they're not going to enjoy it. You know, uh, not just like you, but like mm-hmm. everyone on the bill. You know, you can have like really tough nights. And if you're not enjoying it on top of that, then there's no point. So my approach to it now is that if I enjoy it, then the audience enjoys it. And it seems to have sort of like, I'm not like a scientist. I haven't cracked this code or anything, but it's just kind of, it seems to me that the more fun I'm having on stage, the more fun the audience have. And that's kind of, uh, if I if I look after myself, then the rest of it sort of follows. And, and so I guess it's not a specific gig, but it's kind of like the approach that I've tried to adopt since uh, we've all come back. And yeah, I'm enjoying it. And, and you sound as though you're in quite a good place as well. So you have Edinburgh coming up for best part of a month and then you're kicking off a, a UK tour as well. So you're going to be on the road quite a lot. Looking forward mm. to that. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't wait. I'm, I I always say I'm one of the few comedians that really loves Edinburgh, like doing the festival. I, I did my first Edinburgh when I was uh, 16, when I was at, with my school, and we did a play. We did Romeo and Juliet in uh, 1997, and then that was my first one. And I've almost, and I think I probably had about three years off where I haven't done it, three or four, not including the last two years. Yeah. So like, I'm really looking forward to doing that. And it also, in a way, it's like. I'm not 100% sure there's going to be songs in the show yet. I'm, I've got ideas for songs. They may go in, they may not. I've got an hour of solid stand-up at the moment, so any songs that I put in, I'll have to take out actual stand-up. And I know that at the moment, the hour that I've got is just a really relaxed kind of hour for me where I know what I'm saying, know what I've got. I can just go and I can do it. And it may evolve over Edinburgh, but... I've always had sort of like a nice time in Edinburgh and I don't really feel like I've got to go up and I've got to, like I've got to prove myself. I feel like I've got to go up and I've got to sort of enjoy it and put on a good show for people. And so it's sort of like evolving. In a way, you write a show in previews and in London or when you're gigging around the country and then I write songs kind of like parallel to the stand-up and then when I get up to Edinburgh, I put it all together and then I kind of don't really know what the show's going to be until I'm in the venue. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of excited to get up to Edinburgh just to see what the show's going to turn into over the first over the first few days, yeah. and then by the and end then of- the tour will evolve a little bit more than that because you're going to have an interval and uh, it'll be about you know 20 minutes, half an hour longer than the Edinburgh show. So and it gives you an opportunity over the course of that period in, in Edinburgh to to really get match fit, I suppose, with the with the show. To I'd imagine it will probably be the end of the run. It might bear no relation to how the show was at the start, because as as the, the days go by and ideas come and ideas are developed and tweaked and edited and in your head and so on, things will change. I would say that normally what would happen is you would go up there with, it's like you go up with all of the parts of a car and then you like construct it over the, the first couple of days and then you're like, all right, that's what the car looks like. I think material tightens and it evolves. I don't know how often I've done it where the show's completely unrecognisable by the end, but like it takes like a week to sort of tighten in. But in terms of sort of like gigs, I would say that I'm... I'm as good as I've ever been as a stand-up comedian. I really am enjoying it at the moment. And as a comedian, you know, you, you rely on yourself. You're on stage. It's you. You've written your material. You're, you've practiced your material. You've taken it to clubs. You've 
performed in front of audiences. You're relying on yourself. And I think a lot of the mistakes and a lot of the things that I haven't enjoyed about stand-up comedy in the past have been because of outside elements, like like trying to please other people and trying to second-guess what an audience might like and trying to impress uh, critics or reviewers or, you know... And it's kind of like if you cut all of that out and you just focus on what you need and what you want in your show and you listen to your audience as well, then I think that it's a way of kind of like being a bit a bit kinder to yourself, a bit purer about what, what it is that you're trying to achieve. And I'm just, I've never really tried to sort of like pander towards critics or anything like that. But I do get very stressed about like the opening, the opening week, and like people coming to see a show and kind of like being on display. And so, you know, I've always put myself on at like uh, I'm on at five twenty-five this year. Uh, but I've always sort of like tried to put myself mid to late afternoon, you know, because it's like for an audience member, you know, I'm I'm kind of like saying I don't really clash with loads of other things, so I'm right here. I'm mm-hmm. not competing with anyone. I'm right here in the afternoon. Plus, I can go out and have dinner afterwards, and yeah. I don't have to wait up dead early in the morning so it's like perfect you know you can go out have a nice evening and you can go and see other people's shows and then you can kind of like get up the next day settle into it and then go off and do your show and so it's all just just like stuff like that which is you know choosing your own adventure you know it's kind of like i i want to i want to i want to go in the afternoon i don't want to be stressed all the time and this is this is how i'm going to do it and so I'm I'm just a lot more relaxed than I normally am about Edinburgh because I haven't put all the bells and whistles in the show at the moment, which is one of the most stressful elements of that is making sure that you've got like four or five brand new songs that you haven't really tested that much in front of an audience with and, and um, are they going to like it and what's the structure going to be like and is it going to be the best show that all the audiences have ever seen and it's kind of like I'm just trying to write the most entertaining hour that I can that's kind of I suppose what have we become isn't just about the pandemic and about all of us but it's about kind of like how have I evolved I'm like proving to myself and I'm showing myself how I've evolved as a stand-up comedian. This is the most I've enjoyed doing comedy in my entire career. That's that's brilliant to hear. Obviously, a lot of people will recognise you first and foremost for your television work as well. Have you got much of that in the pipeline? Is that what's what's happening there? Um, I do bits and pieces of TV. I've done some films recently, which are coming out feature films, which are coming out. Um, one of them's coming out in August uh, while we're up in Edinburgh. Uh, I'm filming one uh, next week. So there's not loads of TV, but I'm kind of like doing other things. And I'm writing I'm writing screenplays at the moment and I'm developing some TV shows. I did Uncle. I was a star of uh, my own sitcom that I, that I love doing. And you kind of like wait around for a bit for like some job offers to come in. And then uh, you don't get flooded by them. And then you kind of like go, oh, do you know what? I'm in charge of my career. Yeah. So it's all about sitting down and writing and, um, and trying to... If anyone else offers anything to me, that's brilliant. Yeah, if anyone else offers anything to me, that's brilliant. But really, it's kind of like I wanted to relearn how to do stand-up comedy and take my career back in my own hands, which is what I've done. And that's given me the confidence to kind of like go, all right, uh, let's 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 create something something else. So we'll see if that gets... We'll see, I've got like fucking... Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's the Yeah, No, you're not and you're allowed to swear from time to time and laugh. Am I allowed to fucking swear? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh fuck. Yeah, we insist. Oh, right. Yeah, it's absolutely... Oh, that's... Revelation, fucking great. Um, 
yeah, so I've I've got like I've got fucking loads of ideas, and then um, and we'll just see if I get through them. My yeah. first priority at the moment is to get back into doing stand up, and my second priority would be to kind of like uh, write write a sitcom. Cool. Um, and I can't speak to Nick Helm without talking about Susie Dent. I said to mm. I said to my, my wife this morning that you you were coming on the podcast. She's oh he's fantastic, and she's obsessed with this and uh, your kind of relationship with Susie. How, how you said that you had a new partner? How does your partner cope watching YouTube clips of that obsession? I don't think my partner spends a lot of time going on YouTube <laughs> watching clips of me on YouTube. She's in the industry too, and if she got an obsession with anyone that she wants to have an obsession with, <laughs> then I'm sure I would deal with it in a grown-up and mature manner. Yeah. How how do you um how do you go on with Susie Dent away from the camera? Oh, she's lovely. We get on. We get on really well. We, I mean, we're not like super close or anything. There's no restraining orders or anything. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's quite comfortable. No in, restraining orders. In, comfortable in your no, company. No, no, no. And uh, yeah, she's 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 brilliant. Like the whole the whole thing on eight out of ten cats is just to sort of um, shine light on her. Really, I think that she's. I think she's brilliant. She's really supportive. She's really encouraging. And I think we're friends. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I just think she, I think she's just brilliant. She's yeah. very clever, and she's got, she's, I love her kind of word of the day on Twitter as well. It's always usually fairly political, having a, having a pop at someone in a very subtle way. Yes, yeah, she's brilliant. She's very funny, and um, uh, she reminds me a lot of my uh, drama teacher when I was, uh, when I was at school. And so I kind of like really respect and look up to Susie and, um, yeah, you're right. She's just incredibly intelligent and smart. And the fact that she has, you know, like I'll get so nervous doing eight out of 10 cats. I'm in dictionary corner. So what happens is, um, when you film it, you all come out and you all sit at your desk and then it takes about an hour to get through everyone doing all the introductions before they get to you. And you've got, I know that, you know, underneath the table, I'm wearing kind of like, you know, light up shoes and hot pants. And I've just been sat there for an hour. And then I've got to go from nothing into doing a song. And and then it'll cut back to Jimmy and then they'll just get back on with it. And then it'll cut to me and I've got to do something else that's ridiculous. And it's like, so I'll be sat there the whole time and I'll be so nervous. And Susie will just sort of like write something on a little piece of paper and she'll send it to me. Or she'll just, uh, she, or she'll... She will like whisper something encouraging to me, and then I'll kind of like do it. And it's kind of like, yeah, she's just incredibly supportive and kind, and and she's brilliant. Oh, that's that's lovely to hear. Nice wee bit of insight into how how it all goes down. And I won't take up much more of your time, Nick. I, I wanted to just let everybody know also the details about Edinburgh, and particularly so it's a pleasant storm, isn't it? And August thirteenth to sixteenth, and then eighteenth to twenty eighth. I'm doing well. What's that? It's, and it's five, it's five. August. I'm doing the very. I'm doing the whole month, except for I've got one day off. Yeah, seventeenth. Yeah, it was an easy 19th. way of saying that. I could have said the whole month apart from the seventeenth. Yeah, the seventeenth. It's a Sunday. I'm not. I'm, so I'm doing. I'm doing the whole run in Edinburgh at five twenty-five at the Queen Dome, which is my favourite venue in Edinburgh. It's where I did Phoenix from the Flames and where I did uh, This Means War in 2012. So I first did the Queen Dome ten years ago, and now I'm going back. I love it. Middle of the afternoon doesn't clash with anything. Well, it clashes with some stuff, yeah. but come on, it doesn't clash with dinner. That's the main thing. Well, uh, I'm going to make a point of coming to see the show, obviously, to say hello, shake your hand. Um, I think it's not finalized yet, but I think I'll be in the 
two or three days in the week beginning Monday the 15th at the, at the Beehive as part of a, a show of um, of open spots, I suppose you would call it. That's what I'll be doing a wee t- 10 minutes. So I am really excited to be doing my doing my first Edinburgh. Took my That's time. great. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. And, and, um, and congratulations on it. Although I've talked about anxiety and stress and uh, nerves and stuff like that, what I would also say is before I started doing stand-up, I couldn't make eye contact with strangers, and uh, I was like a sh- I was like a shell of who I am now. Yeah. And as soon as I did stand up, it sort of affected all these different aspects of my life uh, in a positive way. And 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 the other thing is, as scary as stand up is, I always said that you know people say, "Oh God, you're very brave," or "Or stand up's very scary." And I always used to think that yes, stand up is scary, but to me, the idea of not doing it is scarier. It's like, well, what if I got to the end of my life and I look back and I didn't and I hadn't tried it, you know, and I think that is sort of like a motivating factor of a lot of the things that I do. And I recommend it. I recommend it to everyone. And if you don't like being on stage, then you can't do a lot about that. But if you go up on stage and you enjoy it and your jokes are shit, then you can write better jokes. (laughs) Um, I just think it's, it's changed. It's changed my life. And I would say. Uh, on a 70-30 split, it's all positive. Oh, that's you know? brilliant. That's great. Well, that's a lovely way to wrap it up, Nick. Um, really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks very much for for, um, for coming on to, to Laughter Unlocked. I will be watching it for you in Edinburgh, and I'll be keeping an eye out for you in the, in the telly too. So, listen, really great to chat. Thanks again, and best of luck with everything. Thanks, Reverend. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Good luck with everything. Thanks a lot. <laughs>